Hello and welcome to Three Ain't a Crowd, the podcast exploring the relationship between creativity, mental health and social change. Today I'm joined by James A. Smith, who is a host of the political affairs podcast, The Popular Show. I met James during the first lockdown as part of an online discussion group exploring psychoanalytic and political analyses of the pandemic and its repercussions. This episode is the second part to a back-to-back special, and if you want to check out the first interview with me, head over to The Popular Show, where we discuss mental health, policing, and research practices. But for now, let's get on with it. back hello you're back right yeah i'm great i'm great so welcome to three and a crowd wanted to have you on for a while um i suppose the the first place that i thought we would start is just to contextualize a little bit what the popular show is for people that haven't heard of it before what is the podcast well it's uh it's a podcast and it's has a YouTube channel and it contributes to another YouTube channel. Uh, it it's uh, it's me, James A. Smith, and my friend David Slavic, quite often, uh, who is an American based in Canada. And without necessarily getting into the whole sort of story of it of of, of how we came to do it, what it's about is um, trying to find a way of talking after the fall of the big left electoral projects. So although it's not a show that's just for the left and we make every effort to speak well beyond that, its its origins are in that particular problem of, um, of how, how do you talk when your whole kind of media sphere has been pretty much created overnight in connection with particular political political projects that don't exist anymore Mm, okay do you think that the the reverse could be true so do you think that possibly podcasting can legitimize oppressive viewpoints so um i'm just thinking in terms of like the way that it's very much like you know you and i are recording at home like we're setting up ourselves we produce it ourselves um and there's no one kind of reviewing it or saying okay you've like met the community guidelines or whatever mm-hmm. um and also there's a lot of kind of um conversations that i've been seeing at the moment around toxic male podcast or even that rogan guy and that kind of thing so do you think that podcasts are also um unhelpful i i've come to take the opposite view really, uh, and to value podcasts as, for now, a sort of wild west of discourse. I think that in 2016, when Trump won the presidency, there was such a huge panic about fake news and disinformation and what what we're living through now is the institutionalization of that kind of liberal panic. And it was the same in Britain with Brexit. And what it boiled down to was a lot of professional class liberals 
simply didn't believe that that number of people disagreed with them and didn't believe that they had backed causes that would prove so unexpectedly unpopular. And so they more or less invented the the idea of fake news or disinformation in that moment to say, no, I haven't been disagreed with politically. I haven't lost any argument here. My opponent has tricked people, has hypnotized them or brainwashed them. So that deeply anti-populist view of people, that they are kind of brainwashable sheep and idiots and just get um, their heads completely turned by the media they consume, that was the sort of origin attitude that then got totally accelerated during COVID, um, whereby, you know, despite the fact that even before Britain locked down, um, uh, evidence from mobile phone use demonstrates that people were already making their own kind of moves to protect themselves and their families. Uh, Even though it's clear that actually during COVID, people acted very... um, carefully and were very conservative in their behavior um elites assumed that actually they were self-destructive idiots or totally self-indulgent and selfish and so they needed to be controlled with this whole regime of the policing of disinformation now um we wash up in a situation where it's pretty clear that Governments are in constant communication with social media companies uh, about what kind of discourse is going to be permissible. Uh, And thus far, presumably because the media is in itself somehow difficult to scan or, or maybe they're not regarded as important enough, but thus far podcasts have not been policed in that same way. Does that kind of like factor into who you invite? Like I'm interested just in terms of this kind of like having conversations or this this idea of media being regulated or controlled or whatever and being able to do something outside of that in podcasting. How do you choose who you invite on? And do you also invite people on that you already know that you disagree with or that you assume that you disagree with? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I, I mean, yeah, just uh, b- before I get into some of the guests i i'd just add that um the you know what you said about you know toxic masculinity in in podcasts and and yeah I, i'm sure i've heard some terrible things in in uh, in in podcasts but the the problem i think we need to recognize is that very often um very well meaning and decent social justice ideas and left wing ideas can be used by people who have no interest in them whatsoever to serve a totally different agenda. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it, 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 to find that it would be arguments about toxic masculinity in podcasts that would be used to, um, to, to validate and used as a kind of fig leaf for what is actually a, um, a, a, a totally illiberal policing of of political opposition and, and critical ideas. Um, so does that factor into the guests we invite? I mean, we don't set out to be controversial or to 
upset anyone. And and I think that taken as a whole, and we have this much in common with Joe Rogan, it's only really a handful of, of people that anyone would say were controversial. I mean, who, who would it be? Toby Young, who you know, he's a editor at the Spectator, among other things, and and he is somebody who does like set set out to be a controversialist in the first instance, um, and so we we wanted to talk to him. Um, we, we've talked to Peter Hitchens, the uh, Mail on Sunday columnist, and and probably one of the most conservative people in Britain. He's well to the he he regards the Conservative Party as a Blairite. Uh, exercise basically and and as far too liberal i mean i don't think he is a, a contrarian or a controversialist in the way that uh toby young is because i think he actually believes everything whereas toby young just likes to have an argument claire fox is another of these people with a sort of reputation for being a sort of what used to be called a renter gob uh, someone who will go on TV and argue a controversial position. She was involved in living Marxism and then and then spiked, uh, which are kind of, you know, originally left wing affiliated projects, which then kind of went all in on kind of anti wokeness and and culture war. Uh, and a lot of people on the left would say that you just shouldn't talk to those people, but. Boris Johnson put her in the House of Lords. So I don't know who we're kidding if we think that, like, you know, treating these people as um, totally unacceptable uh, uh, people to speak to, we think that we have more, like, power and control and command than we actually do when we're policing each other's uh, uh, platforming in this way. So there's that kind of strata, the people who like are known as controversial and, okay, what happens if you try to have a good faith conversation with them? What happens if you don't go in like on their terms on imagining you're on a kind of debate stage and having a a sort of left v right or right-ish argument? What if instead you you talk to them as as in having a conversation and even kind of looking for where the common ground is that can be um productive the, the other sort of group of maybe contra- you know supposedly controversial people that we speak to are people who have been very critical of covid measures and toby green uh, is is one example there uh we ran a, a whole series before christmas um when it looked like britain might be um pushed back into lockdown during the omicron uh, variant and a lot of liberals and a lot of people on the left and a lot of my friends were actually sort of you know thought that the done thing was to sort of push for that uh, and it didn't happen and I think in retrospect we, we would say that it shouldn't have happened uh, the, the the um yeah what we were trying to do there was to gather academics who who had been you know critical of how lockdown had been managed and to talk to them and get and get their voices all in one place. Uh, so COVID measures is the sort of second group of of, um, of controversial people, I suppose, that we, we've had on. And the other group is, um, is people from the sort of the new Trump ecosystem. Obviously, you know, Trump losing the 2020 election, uh, we know that that wasn't the end of it. But Trump did attract some very good faith and intelligence, uh, an interesting 
younger conservatives uh, as well as you know the whole diversity of, of his movements in general and those are people who are going to continue to have an influence and effect on America's uh, politics and its kind of the intellectual side of its politics as well and those seemed like people it would be worth talking to early on uh, and kind of being at the ground floor of where that discourse is going so as well as you know guests who you would find on other uh, shows run by left-wing people and also um, musicians uh, uh, creative people people who aren't you know, explicitly political at all, um, you will, you do find among the, the people we speak to um, those slightly more controversial figures. And um, I, I guess that's one of the things that we've become most known for. Mm. Okay, a few things to pick up. I've got like a million questions. Mm-hmm. But the first one I want to know, have you ever recorded a podcast and then been like, nah, I'm not publishing that. I've just been like, I'm going to silently act it. I mean, I'm guessing no. that person would probably, you've never done it. <laughs> never. Would never. you, like, what would it take? See, we should have discussed this earlier and I would have been like, right, it's a challenge. Like, what do I need to say to get pulled from the publication? Yeah, Vanda, we just recorded a, an episode of the popular, popular show with Vanda. Which, but will uh, it come out? Yeah, will it come perhaps, out? That's perhaps the, the most the most controversial guest yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no. And, and, I, and I can't I can't imagine doing it either. Um no, I mean, what, why do people do that? Because they fear that the they feel the conversation is going to reflect badly on them. Oh, yeah, uh, and um, I I, th- I think that actually you do just have to stare that stuff down. Um, the you know the, people make a, a a hobby of that kind of discourse policing, don't they? And and you you just you just do see how um, somebody will be you know controversial for something for a day or two and then it just all interest just gets dropped and um i i, I don't you know i i don't I, I can't imagine actually being that bothered by you know being attacked online by people i think that's really exaggerated i think that people need to learn how to log off or delete twitter for a couple of days and, and ride this stuff out i think it's the entry price today of of being in any way in the public sphere that uh that you're vulnerable to that and 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 uh I, I don't really go along with the people who complain about it however on the other hand i think that you you absolutely have to um you know make make no apologies for what it was you wanted to say or the conversation that you thought was worth having i mean if somebody was i i guess what well, okay i maybe i would consider holding it back if somebody had not acted as they'd wanted to if somebody was really drunk or or you know in some other way was kind of out of it i I can imagine for their own dignity maybe dropping it but but not because you know i talked to someone bad I, i think that i think we should probably treasure podcasting um for being as unregulated as it is uh while it lasts uh, and yeah, should sort of treat it precisely as the space where, you know, it's one space where anything's sayable for now. I think it's interesting though because I do, I do find like with with every, I pretty much, I reckon maybe not all of them, but like a 
definitely a significant proportion of people that I've kind of recorded with something will come up and I'm like I didn't I wasn't thinking of that at all do you know what I mean and it's quite mm-hmm. interesting to see like how because I think I think the podcasting is is quite because it's unscripted generally speaking yeah. I don't actually know of any scripted podcast but it's very much kind of like two or three people however many people just having a chat and there's a lot more kind of fluidity within that there's a lot more possibilities and also the possibility for it to go wrong yeah. and I'm also wondering like aside from I'm just trying when you've been interviewing someone or recording with someone and maybe something has gone wrong so have you ever done an interview that's gone wrong um all my answers are so boring um I I can't say that an interview's gone wrong I mean there are certainly times where I felt like in retrospect I wish I'd um approached something slightly differently Mm. I I mean okay the the kind of conversation I'm describing you know I'm not I'm not to debate fetishist I, I i regard sort of you know debate as actually something that oxbridge people like think of as a more important form of knowledge creation than it than it really is um and i'm also not a kind of liberal idealist who thinks that if only we could all see into each other's hearts um all our political differences would be resolved it, it, it's not that it's that as far as politics is concerned anyway i think that um th- that we're all capable of self-deception and we're all capable of um you know pro- propaganda gets a bad rap propaganda is an absolutely integral part of being political that you don't you're not always honest about all the complexities that you know that there are some situations where you simply make the the case for what for what the outcome that you want but that can seep in you know and you can become almost sort of pavlovian in um you're gonna have to explain pavlovian for people that don't know what that oh is. i just mean like you know the dog the, the <laughs> pavlov's dog the you know whose mouth waters when uh you ring you ring a bell whenever you give the dog food and then you ring the bell, there's no food, but the mouth waters. So similarly, you know, I, I'm not, you know, knocking on someone's door trying to convince them of something. I'm not, you know, it, it, uh, talking at a rally or something. And yet, um, uh, uh, nonetheless, my mouth starts watering. I don't want to acknowledge the um, contradictions in my own political position. I don't want to recognize that facts have changed. You know, how much time has passed uh, since the 2019 election, a lot of your listeners probably don't even remember it because you know they were kids and it wasn't didn't didn't feel like it affected them. Uh, many of my students, this is becoming a sort are? of distant. I'm assuming that I'm on the the hottest, coolest, cutting edge like Damn right. um, uh, uh, youth um, youth culture podcast here. Um, but you know what I mean that 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 uh, we 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 form our our convictions in times of like you know great um, political drama, and then there's a danger of just kind of clinging on to those kind of little loops and and, and claims and beliefs, and in the meantime, the whole world um, changes uh, it, it, in small or big ways, and. So we we can be guilty, and I think this is true of every point on the political spectrum, including people who think they're apolitical. We can be guilty of just kind of falling back on these kind of old sort of little maxims in place of recognizing that there might have been a contradiction in our position 
from the start. And very often it is some somebody on the other team who's able to see that or who pushes you into kind of making your case um making your case better the other point is that it's perfectly possible that other political factions might um have ways of thinking or feeling that could be valuable to you i i, I do believe um and i know that this isn't isn't specifically a politics podcast but to continue with that comparison of the the left and right because i, I think it might be useful to to get across my point I think that there are way that there are all kinds of issues where um, the, the the left and right can um, ha- be in a sort of situation where one of them cares very deeply about the thing, but some other thing that they care about stops them like being able to find the answer. Um, what would what would examples here be? Um, uh, well. Um, I mean, when you when you speak to a conservative who complains about the decline of families and community and um, the the idea of everyone in a neighbourhood knowing each other and uh, um, ch- you know ch- children being raised by parents rather than in in daycare etc. If you hear those kind of conservative arguments, then what the what what the conservative like died in the wall conservative person who also believes in free markets is missing is that it's precisely their economic view that has destroyed that like thing that they claim to value um meanwhile uh someone on the left might hear those arguments about family and tradition and so on and think oh my god i'm in the presence of a fascist here and completely reject them um Little realizing that they're that, that, that to a great extent they um, the, the reasons why they think they're bad is the particular kind of situation in which they're you know the form they take under under capitalism and and, and so on. So there, there are kind of ways in which um, we, we often sort of see past each other, and the thing that we think is valuable is actually inconsistent with other parts of our ideology. So the solution isn't like if again we'll sit down and talk to these right wingers and then we'll settle our differences. It's more that we can see their blind spots and they can see ours, and and that conversation, you know, can be a useful. But, but, one. but see, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up on that a little bit because I do think that there's something about like podcasting as well that doesn't mm. always feel that as a host or as an interviewer you wouldn't necessarily go in as hard on someone as you would in a different context and I think part of that is to do with the the economy of podcasts and the fact that like guesting on different podcasts is usually for free so you kind of feel like you're doing other people a favor Mm -hmm. or you know you're kind of selling it it's like if you come on a podcast I'm going to promote you and actually I would I would contest that a little bit because I don't know how many podcasts I've listened to where it felt like the people talking were having as much of a debate now that's not to say that there isn't still something that happens after the podcast or during it or for people listening or whatever but maybe there's something like I don't know like sometimes I feel like with podcasting rather than having like lots of different guests we should have the same one like every six months do you know what I mean wouldn't that oh right. shit I shouldn't have said that that's my new podcast Nobody that's your new I'm copywriting that now <laughs> now it's going to be called Six months in the kitchen, and I'll record it in my kitchen with a cup of tea. There you go, done. That's Jesus, what it's how does she does it? How does she do it? 
How did you do Crazy. that? Straight away. Full of ideas, me. Um, but do you know what I mean? Like this kind of like maybe there's there's not so much of a longevity, and also the reason I bring it up is because you make a, an important point about um time moving on, which is a good point. Uh, who knew, right? But actually, like, how does that change in the way that we do podcasting? Because it's kind of like sometimes it feels like we're taking a snapshot in time, but not mm-hmm. necessarily with the opportunity to follow it up in the same way. But maybe that's also fine. It doesn't have to be the podcast that always does it. Do you know what I mean? But it's kind of yeah. actually that was another thing I was going to ask you as well, just on the the topic of time. Do you find because your podcast is that you've got different timings that yours not mine are generally like more or less always 50 minutes or an hour. Mm-hmm. But the reason is, is that I find and I say this at 25 minutes past, um, I find that it takes a while for you to ease into it. Right. And to ease into the the vibe of the chat or whatever. And I'm curious to know whether you're also aware of that. Um, and whether you do anything in your podcast in order to allow that process to happen or to obstruct it or to go in hard or go in soft or whatever do you have like a kind of process to how you're interviewing people yeah I I think that mainly that will come out when you realize that you've got a two-hour guest on your hands or, or when you when you realize that um um yeah that 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 you're going to have to change your kind of whole idea of the pace of it i I mean my my example there would be uh this guy mark wadsworth who is an incredibly interesting person who who had been one of the campaigners around the stephen lawrence family in the early 90s the the black teenager murdered in in london and it was covered up by the police and and uh, these the, basically the, these black activists um, who had been kind of part of anti-racism in, in in the 80s kind of got around the family and and Wadsworth ended up um, in his telling he invited Nelson Mandela uh, and his telling of it was so beautiful that who am I to to um, wonder if anyone else was involved but uh, yeah Mandela came over to, and and this this became a very kind of a sort of watershed moment and and I'd actually invited him to talk about uh, the fact that he'd ended up being kicked out of the Labour Party on trumped up charges of anti-semitism so in some ways he was a sort of like classic guest for us somebody who like was in the left but a lot of people had become like nervous or shy of being around him or didn't kind of want to get into this whole question of like whether this whole thing was being you know, d- done for, for 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 political reasons, and he he's yeah. So he he'd been both um, he'd gone from being part of like this universally celebrated thing of the Stephen Lawrence campaign to being um, a, a, somebody who you couldn't speak of or speak to. So that was the main thing I wanted to talk about. But then it just became clear that his like backstory and this kind of earlier story was was so great and so interesting that. I, I, it just sort of clicks that you know, we want to really slow this down and it's going to be two separate hour long episodes. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I don't keep to the, to, to the, the 50 minutes um, and, and uh, kind of do that's the norm, but um, uh, yeah, so sometimes you just realize that you've, you've got something a bit that's going to take a bit more teasing out on your hands and, and then you go for it. Sure. I mean, it depends on your purpose, isn't it? 
Um, mm. And maybe it's like... Well, some people you're probably not going to get back. Like some some people, and we, we do have repeat guests, and it's, it's just like what you say, that uh, it, it's great to sort of pick up this conversation with somebody who, you know, often is on the other side of the world. You don't have a kind of real IRL relationship with, but you're you're, you're picking up a conversation and, and, and applying what you said before to new stuff that's come along. Other people you sort of feel like you're having your shots with them and they're probably not going to come back on or like this is so much about them and something that is special or different about them that it doesn't make sense to treat them like a kind of topical guest to get their latest hot takes later on. So it's all, it has to happen in one go. That's how I felt with, with Wadsworth. Uh, well, anyway. um, I'll uh, acknowledge that you said IRL for the youths. Nice yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one for um, the young people of 40. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, thing, the thing is as well is I'm just thinking about like when did when did I start uh, podcasting, but at the same time that we met, non in IRL, um, mm-hmm. which was during Everyday Analysis, uh, a psychoanalytic discussion group, let's say. Um, it was like every week, I think, no? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, dur- um, during the first lockdown. Yeah, and it was it was really for me because I wasn't in the UK. It was such an important way of staying connected to people and having these conversations in such an isolating place. And that, I mean, I'd always been thinking about doing a podcast anyway. Um, but it really, I think that if it wasn't for the pandemic, I probably wouldn't have done it in the way that I did, and I probably wouldn't have done it in such a um, strategic way in the same way that I did that mm-hmm. strategy though was never for any particular outcome in terms of the the financial benefit or for the promotion necessarily but for my sanity and I think that's quite interesting about podcasts as well is that like you're saying it does allow you to have conversations with people that are across the world or who are not necessarily going to be in the same environment where you can have a conversation on your terms right and to be like okay this is the start of the podcast like it's just I think that's maybe what one of the the creative elements of podcasting is that you can create a space with your guests um, to talk about whatever you want to. I'm interested in whether you think that podcasting is creative. I mean, given that the, the this one this podcast is about creativity, mental health, and social change, um, what do you think yeah. about that? Well, I, I th- you know, it's it sometimes I, I come from. Um, the humanities. I, 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 my day job is teaching English literature, uh, and the the one thing that sometimes has been said about the humanities is that it's distinctive in that it's a form of knowledge production where the voice of the scholar is important. So, unlike reading in sociology, unlike reading in the hard sciences, where it's important that the voice of the scholar is um, is virtually removed, um, as it were. A, 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 what is distinctive about the humanities is that this book will is allowed. Sorry, is allowed to um, be a collection of stuff that the writer thought was interesting. It's like the one sort of space of knowledge production where that individual or you know, a, a team of writers is allowed to have that kind of privilege. And I think it's very similar with podcasting is that, okay, you you kind of got like the stated aim of your show and, and that's how people get interested in listening to it. But then there's also this um, kind of permissiveness to it that, that you, you, you get the guests that serve the agenda of the show, but you also have your friends on and you also 
like use it to talk to people who you wouldn't otherwise be able to talk to. So um, a big hero of mine uh, growing up was Billy Childish, the garage rock musician and painter and, and poet. And uh, what's he got to do with the stated agenda of the popular show? Not very much, but I really wanted to talk to him. And this was a kind of platform to do so. And the conversation we had actually was thematically totally related to um, the, the agenda of the show in general. After all, I was asking the questions. Um, but it, yeah, that that's a certain sort of like narcissism of um, being allowed to compile your own sort of like little world. Um, I think that, again, that is one of the kind of unique things about um, podcasting. But uh, what I wanted to throw back to you, though, was what if podcasting's uncreative? Um, you mentioned uh, Joe Rogan. Quentin Tarantino said on on Rogan's show that if there'd been podcasting in the early nineties, then he would have never made a film. Well, I don't even know what that means. To be honest, like what? I guess it means I took it to mean um, that he would have just become a podcast. He his that itch would have been scratched by just like hanging out uh on on mic and talking i guess there's something particular to tarantino there because mm. they're like the 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 seemingly mundane but competitively witty conversation is such a big part of his script writing that you could sort of imagine that that creative urge would be satisfied by him just like talking to guests so i guess he i, I on the one hand um there's a compliment. There's a compliment there somewhere to podcasting. On the other hand, there's a sort of worry that, like, this is so creatively satisfying, but what you make is um, something that is, you know, it, it is very temporary, and it, it and it also kind of risks keeping you away from the kinds of projects that don't have the immediate hit of like. Yeah, I, I had this made this great episode. I'm putting it out right now. Oh, people have listened to it right now. There is there is a sort of um, immediacy of um, of satisfaction in podcasting. A, a lot like when I first started writing op eds, the comparison between writing an academic article and and maybe it will come out in a year and a half and hardly anyone will read it compared to. I pitched it in the morning, I wrote it in the afternoon, and it's out in the evening, and, you know, th there it is, and people are shouting at me on Twitter for it. That that kind of immediacy, it, it does risk keeping you from kinds of creativity that are necessarily more long-term and slow and ungratifying for large parts of them. I don't know. I mean, number one, my first series for Throw in a Crowd, I recorded it in, like, one go. <clears throat> and then it took like mm. three months to come out so there was definitely no um kind immediate of gratification immediate, yeah exactly mm -hmm. um personal instant gratification um what a phrase but I always say like in terms of it being creative like I don't even I don't even know like I think personally because I produce myself um I find that part of it is like I'm really really into it I like doing the editing I mean sometimes it's a pain right like it's a an hour is a long 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 time to edit um was more than an hour but in terms of that I think when I'm actually recording I don't always know if I'm necessarily being creative in the conversation but I suppose it's who I'm having the conversation with and like what the theme of the podcast is and that part I think is creative not necessarily the chat 
for me personally, like I feel like I have a clear purpose in my head of I want to talk to people that I find interesting, but I also want to be disruptive and I want to like be grounded and I want to I don't want to just talk about our day-to-day jobs and this is what we present and this is you know what I mean and I think podcasts are more able to do that because you can be like okay fine but maybe it's just like my personal style is I prefer to find the people in it do you know what I mean like and just Mm -hmm. be like okay well what's past what's behind the persona um so I find that not necessarily creative but I do think it's it's important especially if you think about the context of mental health and, and social change of just trying to be like um finding commonalities where you don't necessarily expect them and that's one of my favorite things is sometimes I'll be recording with someone and they'll start talking about their backstory or an experience that they had and I'm just like it's so fascinating to be able to hear that and where else would you be able to get that experience do you know what I mean so it's quite Mm -hmm. it's quite interesting I suppose I'm also curious of like what what have you what have you learned about yourself um through podcasting um i think i've become um i i don't know what i've learned about myself um because i i often find that um when i'm doing shows with with david slavic who's the the other guy i do it with that he has this very american way of being extremely garrulous about his own life and that that's i think that's that's great um but I, I've, I've, I often find that I'm, I'm more like the psychoanalyst figure. You know, I'm the subject supposed to know who's kind of trying to draw the, the discourse out of the guest. So I maybe when I started it, I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to talk like that. But it hasn't really come out that way. Um, I, I think that it's just like the ability to commit to an idea more, more more quickly I think is one of the virtues of it that unlike other forms of um writing or or, or um or, or producing ideas this is this is there and then and you're not going to get a chance to come back to it well you you, you could change your mind in a different episode of course but you, you have to reply to the guest there and then and I think that that's that's one of the real virtues of of the form that it encourages you to um yeah not not worry too much about getting it absolutely right in that time but rather saying something that somebody might like to hear is more important than the the kind of absolute kind of accuracy or the idea that you're going to kind of stand by it um i mean that that does sort of yeah fit with um with another thing i was going to say about our style of interviews with you know, people who 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 to many are, are perceived as as controversial. Um, the the tightrope is that uh, you know when when people have kind of criticised us, it, it's as if they want us to jump on everything that the the guest says and, and fact check the guest live or to call out the guest or whatever. When actually the the particularity of this form is letting people speak and okay you tr- you, tr- you try to answer and if you think someone says something really out of order then you know if if for no other reason but vanity you make clear that you don't also think it but the the, the art of creating something that is both like on some level true but also something that somebody might like to listen to is the art precisely not of 
interrupting or, or, or forcing the guests to kind of think the same as you all the way. And yeah, I think I think that that is something that we've we've sort of learned to do, and that 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 is like a way that I've learned to take my hands off the wheel a little bit and let people, you know, say that say their thing rather than you know needing to to kind of police it in that way. At the same time, I, w- I will admit that there have been that that has led to times where I felt like I haven't called it right and I should have been more critical about something that someone said. Um, but uh, you know, uh, you live and learn, and that's the art of it. I hear that. That's why we need the six months so we can go back and be like, actually, I've had six months to think about what you said six months ago. I'm not having it, mate. Yeah, actually. I, well, I, I think it, it was the Roman um, uh, uh, poet Horace who said nine years. If you still like it after nine years, then it's worth publishing. So, um, <laughs> wow. I, I I like this. You think it, you say it. It's out. So that I, I think, and 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 it's low. Um, it well, it should be low risk. You know, if if you don't still think it, then you know, say it again better next week. What do you want to get out of the podcast? Like, is there? Do you have like a a particular goal in mind like obviously we've talked about the importance of the communication and and having these at least forms of debate but do you have any like concrete milestones that you're trying to meet um well i'd like more people to listen to it really (laughs) that's um that's what it comes down to um well i i i think that there's there there is a basic um narcissism involved in in, in podcasting surely which is which is only an exaggerated form of the narcissism of all um use of digital media um that, that uh you know the the average person who just posts random things from their day on instagram is nonetheless assuming that um the the particularities of their life warrant some kind of audience and that's what we're doing too but you know, in a slightly more um, grandiose and potentially embarrassing way. Um, so, yeah, with with that in mind, I I, I guess I, I think that if not if not necessarily the the bits that I say on the podcast, I think that that combination of guests that only I could bring about, only David could bring about. I think that that that's the belief that this combination is worth having. So, in that respect, um, maybe it's not so different to making some making someone a mixed cd at school i was just thinking that and it, it, it's definitely a form of curation i would agree with mm-hmm. that for sure i think that's quite a good way of looking at it um yeah and i think a mixtape would would fit that as well um i think i've made a few bad mixtapes in my life though so <laughs> that's another story <laughs> Anyway, it is time for What's the Three? The variation of the question that I ask every guest. And I have thought long and hard about what I was going to ask you, James. And I've decided to ask you one um, in particular. And we'll see how it goes. So, okay. Basically, it relates to three animals. Okay. I forgot. It's it's a long time since 2020. I forgot that you do this. (laughs) 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 okay right so what's the animal thing okay (laughs) so (laughs) the first animal is your spirit animal so the animal that you relate to the most yeah the second animal is the animal that you feel that others perceive you as whether or not that is actually true you can let us know and third is the animal that you would aspire to be 
Okay. Um, like, I love okay. that you're immediately on it. I was like, usually I'm like, okay, this is the one I'd be thinking of to like try and make guests feel more comfortable. But I love that you're already like, boom, I know the animals. Well, I, I mean, I was going to say that, um, what animals are there again? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I answered it though. That's the kind of nice host that I am. That I thought yeah. for a minute oh, I'm going to have to list the animals for him. It's okay. Look, okay. let me let me contextualize this. So basically, I was talking to someone about this the other day. We we're doing like, obviously, I'm talking about Tinder. That's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, and I was I was actually quite interested because my spirit animal. Um, I started. I actually came to that last, and I started with what I think that other people see me as, which is a yeah. lion and a lion which is quite fierce a little bit sometimes sexualized um a little bit scary and probably quite misunderstood the one that I aspired to be was um I don't know the difference between an iguana and a chameleon but one that changes color basically and can just kind of fade into the chameleon okay come Mm -hmm. come, 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 yeah so I fade into the background and not always have to like That's stand what you out. aspire to be. That's uh-huh. what you want to be. Yeah. Okay. And my spirit animal was a spider monkey because I feel that's my vibe. All right. So the, okay, I can I can do spirit animal based on vibes alone. All right. Go fine. for it. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I I've sort of lost touch. How do people know what how people perceive them? Because I just feel like you know, because of lockdown and then because of the slightly more kind of scattered um, like way that socialising takes place since, I, I, I've, I've lost all handle on, on, how anyone, on how anyone sees me, let alone what animal it could be. Um, so I'm going to go, I, I'm going to start with um, the uh, the spirit animal i think and i'm going to say a giraffe and you know mm. you you know this is this is a vibes thing but it's a long-standing one ever since i was a kid i i did just kind of find them amazing and um i think that there's something about that like um anatomical impossibility <laughs> of this um creature that looks as if it it shouldn't exist. So I think, yeah, aspiring to impossibility there and embracing impossibility. Um, and I don't know, there's probably something corny I could say about um, the fact that, you know, everyone thought those leaves were out of reach, but <laughs> this fucking thing yeah, evolved well. specifically on that. Um, so, yes, spirit animal, I... I for whatever reason, um, that's how I've always felt about giraffes. Um, uh, the sorry, what what was the other one? The, the, what, what do I aspire to be? Yeah, and what yeah. you think other people see you as? What did you aspire to be again? Oh, the chameleon. chameleon. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to aspire to be like some sort of eagle or falcon. Um, to Hope to see that for com- you. Combine majesty with. Um, far-sighted brutality I, I think that that's uh, that those combinations will you know always escape me but I think that's <laughs> I what we're looking for to them. <laughs> um, and uh, how do people see me well you're, you're people Bunda what, what animal do you see me that's as? a total cop out total that's cop a cop out. out because also it's interesting because it's not like obviously yeah. I'm a lion but I'm mm-hmm. 
I'm gonna say I'm sure I don't know maybe they wouldn't but I'm sure someone would be like that's not how I see you I see you more like a comedian or something probably no one sees me as a comedian but do you know what I mean I like it's, yeah. it's, it's your your inner um like obviously this is in part psychoanalytic so yeah yeah well that's what I, I'm suddenly kind of on the watch for mm-hmm. like <laughs> the psychoanalytic valence of the animals I select um I don't know, like what's just a nor- just a normal animal getting on with it? A, a bear, yeah, okay, yeah, a bear. Like, um, and you used to ask about Disney, didn't you? Um, what so do you I mean? think that you asked a guest about like what Disney character they'd be. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah. I thought you meant me personally. Had like called you up one day, like James. I need to talk to you about Disney. I'm di- thinking, I don't know, I don't know how. Well, like the 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 bear's coming into my head because I think that like a like a, a what is nice in um, the Jungle Book, like the cartoon one from the sixties is that um, that film recognizes a sort of like lazy libertinism in the bear, which I think isn't a totally obvious thing to associate with that animal, but I do think is there. So I'm going to say like, Oh, what's just, Oh, just another animal walking into the ark, a bear. But also there's a, you know, if you, if, if, if you do pay attention, there's a, (laughs) there's a kind of, um, you know, going along with the bare necessities, lazy libertinism there. Interesting. Come on, I can't, I, I, I did okay, didn't I? It you took did a very while, good. But I, did, I did manage to th- think of three animals. It, it's hard, but I, I do think it's also like it's interesting because mine were all kind of like wanting to be perceived as, uh, for want of a better word, smaller yeah. than I feel that I am but most people mm-hmm. seem to like want to be seen more fully or do you associate lions with bigness then because bigness because, is in like yeah. um like a beanock big name and campus do you know what I mean okay yeah or a yeah. rent-a-gob as you mentioned earlier that kind of vibe mm-hmm. which is not really what I'm going for yeah. can't help it if it's in my DNA but do you know what I mean it's, it would be nice to sometimes be able to step away from that a little bit um but yeah it, it's, it's a very interesting one and um, but thank you for sharing your psyche with us it's uh, always helpful can you please tell us where can people find you where can people find the popular show uh well we're on all um the main podcast apps um we also have a um recently started youtube channel called popularity media which we're pu- putting a lot of effort in we also post video versions of a lot of our podcasts on the sublation media uh youtube channel um run by Doug Lane, who used to edit Zero Books, so check that out. And you can also support us for lots of um, bonus episodes at patreon.com forward slash the popular pod. Perfect. And while you are scoping out the popular show, uh, you're welcome to follow me on Instagram at Vandacanton, W A N D A. Um, if you are listening for the first time, feel free to go back to the earlier episode, check them out. Um, please leave a comment, a like. That will help us to kind of spread the word to other people. That would be great. And we will see you next time. Thank you very much, James, and see you soon. Thank you, Vanda.